Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. We're grateful that you're joining us for the show today. You are never going to guess who's with me. The one, the only, Shane Bishop. Shane, how you doing today? Uh, I'm well, Mike. Uh, hey, Shane, did you miss me? We haven't really talked for a couple hours. We haven't. We haven't. And yes, yes, I, I miss you uh, when we don't get to stay in near constant conversation. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So that that's for sure. But Mike, I got to tell you, man, I'm, I'm yeah. sitting here. I'm having, yeah. you know, kind of like career ending stomach cramps. I'm a little Why, nervous because Why? of our topic today. It freaks people out, man. What's that? We're talking about money. Oh, God! In the context... Of church? Of church. Uh-oh. Oh, my gosh. Did, did you hear that? People just stopped the podcast. They did. All over the country. They did. We average about, what, 13 people a week plus my mother. I feel mm-hmm. like that 13 are still with us, mm-hmm. but my mom just got off. That's I good. feel like she just abandoned the ship. She jumped overboard without a life raft. Yeah. Because we're going to talk about money. And money makes people nervous. Very nervous, especially with church and money. Shane, do you have any experiences uh-huh. with that over the years? Do people ever get a little awkward with church and money? Well, I got two great stories for you. Okay. If you know, great. That, that yeah, may be you sh- you hyperbole. Yeah, okay. I, my my daughter always comes up to me. She goes, "Daddy, I have the most hilarious joke you've ever heard." And I said, "Don't do that to yourself, kid. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. There's not a chance in the world it's going to be the most hilarious joke I've ever heard." So I have to. Possibly better than average stories. Okay. So one happened a few years back. This guy walks into my office. We're doing our a sermon series on stewardship, right? Uh-huh. Walks into my office. He goes, he goes. I just want to tell you, I, I really take offense to you doing messages that have to do with finances. Oh. I said, all right. I said, let me tell you something. You're not the first person who's ever walked into my office that took offense at that. But I can tell you this. No one that has ever come to me with a concern about me preaching on finances has ever been anything close to a tither. So are you going to break the string now or are we about done? (laughs) And we were about done. And that's it. We were about done. So my second story, how how would you feel that one as a story? Scale of one to 10. I mean, I'm throwing maybe a five is acceptable. I would go five. Oh, I'm ashamed, boy. But I'm going to tell you something. You tell great stories. Well, yeah. So so, so the bar's high. The bar is so high, yeah. Shane. So, that so was you say five. it was an average Shane story. That was an average. Yeah, yeah, which would be possibly above average for anybody else. Yeah, you can throw that my way. That might have been an 11 for me. <laughs> <laughs> so next story. I'm, I'm having a conversation. I think we were like out shopping somewhere, running into this guy. He, he knows who I am. He wants to have a conversation with me. And he said, I... I'm quitting my current church. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, why? He goes, because all they want out of me is my money. First of all, I took a look at him. He didn't appear to have just tons of money, Mike. I mean, I'm thinking that's not possibly completely accurate in every way. But I I said, hey, uh, that certainly wouldn't happen at Christchurch. And he, he kind of leaned in. He was interested, yeah, right? His okay. old church, all they wanted was his money. Mm-hmm. And now I said, it's not like that at Christchurch. I said, at Christchurch, in addition to you tithing, we're going to want you to develop your prayer life. We're going to want you in church at least once a week. We are going to want you to find a place to serve. Uh, we are going to want you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And we are going to shove on you to become a serious disciple of Jesus. So to think that all we want is your money is absolutely absurd. We want way more than that. How do you respond? I think he uh, went back to his old church. 
Wow. How would you rate that as a story? That was Mike. a 10. Shane. Oh! I feel like... I you, feel you're like feeling you're, like... You're, you're feeling back. like... I'm back. You're back. After that first story, yeah. you feel like we're back. But think about if the first one had been a 10 and 5. We're just... You know, that would have been disappointing, but we really built something up there. Yeah, I, I feel like we did. That being said, we do have my financial coach here. He's been our coach for about 20 years. And, and Mike, I think one of the things for me needing a financial coach is I probably grew up in a house, not probably, I grew up in a house that couldn't have been, you know, 800 square feet. Mm-hmm. We lived across from a cemetery in a lower middle class neighborhood. My, my grandma lived in a house trailer next door to us. We had a very small home. So to say that I knew anything about money or, or raising money, we always tithed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always a part of what we did. But when I got to be a pastor, all of a sudden I thought, I don't know anything at all about stewardship. And, and I don't know anything at all about trusting God for the resources to truly do substantial things in ministry. And our next guest, Mark Brooks, was just an incredible blessing to me. So I'm really excited about sharing him and his knowledge with our audience. Yeah, we're excited to have Mark Brooks on today. Mark Brooks, pastor, financial coach. You can find out more about him at act17generosity.com. And it is our pleasure to bring in today, Mark Brooks. So Mark, first of all, we've been doing a series of interviews with uh, various and sundry people uh, that we know around the country, around the world. Uh, The first question I always ask people is, is talk about how we met which is always kind of this story. How, how did, how does it, you and I uh, became acquainted? You know, I'll never forget that day. Uh, you probably have. <laughs> That's what so, I'm asking. Uh, I have no yeah. recollection of it whatsoever. I, in fact, I had to be reminded of your name before the interview started today, Mark. Thanks. I had, had, <laughs> I, I had a guy do that to me a couple of years ago. It was an interview where, where I was the topic and he couldn't remember our name. He was remembering what I was writing for him, but he That's couldn't good. remember my name. Did he, did he keep calling you Garth or what, what no, was it? Yeah. No, and I am no relation to, to Garth, uh, tragically. So, well, yeah. you know, you know. Yeah. So no, talk about how, how we met. How we met at the time, you know, I was a pastor for 20 years and, and I just felt led into the stewardship ministry. I'd really had a passion for that. Um, mainly Shane and my, because I pastored a multi-generational church and it didn't take me, I was young, but it didn't take me long to figure out that, you know, the, the significant donors in my life, they were passing into eternity and, and all of our growth with these young kids with college debt and kids, you know, they're sure. having kids. Um, and so I kind of had to learn that process in, in that. And that just really kind of um, was where God led me. And I went to work for John Maxwell's um, company and they sent me to your church. And I never forget walking in, you kind of had that mullet thing going on. We all had hair that was, you know, more hair and yeah, right. you know, all those kinds of things. But that's how we met. And then we re-met. Um, a few years later, when I started my own firm, and I'll never forget what you said to me. We were at we were at one of the we probably were at Bandanas, which is where I normally end up with you for lunch. <laughs> uh, and I remember it was Alan Prass and, and and you, and we were talking about the future down the road. And you said this to me. You said I've danced with a lot of stewardship firms, 
but I've decided that you're my dance partner from here on out. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And so that's where we got reconnected back in what was 2006. And I think the first time I met you was around, might've been before 9-11, but we're that old. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things I'd want all 13 of our listeners uh, to know. Yeah. Plus is, my mom. Yeah. Plus my mom. <laughs> so 14. Uh, one of the things I'd want them to know is one of the things that I knew about me as a young pastor, I knew I could preach. Hmm. And I knew that uh, I had a certain amount of, of giftedness to communicate. Uh, and then the church started to grow. Yeah. And what I knew in addition to that was I didn't know much more than that. I know a lot of preachers who, who really are, are good communicators. God's blessed their preaching. So people come to hear them, but they don't know how to make that next step to build the structure that's yeah. needed for more people to be there. And one of the great gifts that I've always had is that I realize I don't know everything. And I needed help, particularly when it came to right. we were out of space, we needed money. I just knew I needed help. And for me, that has been one of the uh, reoccurring realities of my ministry is God has blessed it. I need people to speak into my life in ways and to teach me things I don't know. So yeah. you actually came at a really important time for me, Mark. And the other thing was you were a guy who you're not pretentious, which I've always really liked about you, but you were just kind of a regular guy who knew a heck of a lot more about certain things than I did, who loved God and could communicate in ways that made sense to regular people. And that's really what, uh, what sort of made me lean that way. I thought, you know, Mark's a guy, I don't want to have a transactional relationship for a single uh, capital campaign, but he's somebody that I would really like to have as a, uh, as a ministry partner. And that's certainly what you've been. Yeah. And I think that plays back to, you know, what God, you know, always in our lives, Shane, you know, when you look back on events and you think, oh, that was horrible. And, um, recently I, I was, had a, the, the, the wonderful opportunity. I write a newsletter for, um, the Missouri Baptist convention. Well, their executive director, he and I ran against one another for, this is going to sound really weird, the recording secretary of the Southern Baptist Convention. What was I thinking? You know, I'm not, we ran against one another and he like, he were like beat me to death because we were in his <laughs> home state. Anyway, I nudged his wife the other night. It was like 25 years ago. And I said, best thing ever happened to me was losing to John. Hey, and you think at the time, oh, what a setback, but then you see God's hand in that, and I saw God's hand in what he was doing for, for me, having spent time in the pastorate, I know what that's like, um, and it's funny because I'm writing this uh, two weeks from now newsletter, and I'm writing on that story about as a young pastor, everything that I learned about generosity or stewardship, I learned from somebody else's book. I didn't learn it at college, and I didn't learn it at seminary. I uh, learned a lot of good stuff, but I didn't learn those things. And so when I got into the stewardship field, it was primarily, well, it was, it was exclusively, well, and primarily, it was exclusively capital campaigns. But it wasn't long when I began to work with guys like you, and I realized that you were asking me questions that pertain to, you know, next week's offering, if you will, not so much, hey, I need to raise a chunk of change to build the XYZ building or pay it off or whatever. And that's where I began to spend more into coaching on a practical standpoint for pastors, 
because I still try to think like a pastor, even though it's been a long time since I've been a senior pastor. But I understand what that's like to, to not know how do I connect all the dots in the particular area. And I think that's where I see a real trend um, that's, that's occurring now and I think will continue where pastors are going to outsource a lot of things like that. And that's, in essence, what, what I try to do is be their minister of stewardship to help guide them through week to week and seasonally the, the, the points where they need to be paying attention where they have opportunities to, to maybe increase generosity or their challenges like summer or January, for instance. Those are our two big challenging times in church life. So anyway, I didn't mean to get off on a rant, but well, that's I, kind I, of some of I've got to ask you a question, Mark, because I'm just sort sure. of intrigued by your earlier statement. So you're at the Missouri Baptist Convention. Ha! Yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, somebody needs to write all this crap down. And I am willing to mount a political campaign against someone else for the opportunity to do this. And you got your butt kicked. Is there anything I missed? Well, yeah, it's kind of different. The recording secretary, all they do is when they have their annual convention, he counts the the, the ballots. He's in charge of all of that. So it was ah, a, your early but, interest in politics. Yeah, but no, it's, he, here was here was where I thought God was leading. Hanging that Chad, point. that kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. Um, where I thought God was leading me, I'm trying to spiritualize this. <laughs> I'm having way too much fun to let you, Mark. Yeah, well, where I felt like God was leading me at that point, I'm still a pastor, but I knew God was leading me by spiritual gift administration. And so I really believe God was moving me into denominational life. And I saw that kind of as a stepping stone that, you know, would give me a broader, um, you know, influence and give me some some good background. So again, you're thinking, well, Lord, you know, how's this fit in your plan? I just got stopped. And, and by the way, I'll tell you, it's pretty humiliating to, to lose a national election of your peers. You know? <laughs> oh, I've been there. I, I was voted right out of general conference representation at, at one point. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, I, I came, I saw, and I was sent home with my tail between my legs after utter defeat. I, I, I get yeah. it, Mark. But I don't think in the moment, you know, you realize these things and, you know, it takes that, you know, and I'm trying to embrace the older brother. <laughs> Shane, my line is, as I wake up every morning, uh, and I'm not going to say all that, but I'm tr my, my mind, I have a 35 year old mind. It's just trapped in a body that's a little bit older than that. Um, but I really think that that's a, an important look back for us is to realize that in the moment we are upset. Because um, we can't see the, the, the long run of, right. of what God's plan is. And now looking back and, you know, I've had some other decisions that I thought, oh, that was a horrible decision. I, I made a bad business decision a few years ago. And yet now looking back, I see God's hand in that because of what he's doing now in my life and how he's using me. I don't think he could. Have, well, I know he wouldn't have been able to do that had I not gone through the losses in, in my past. Doesn't have anything to do with generosity, but just one minister to another, I suppose. So Mark, you've told us a little bit about your uh, kind of your career, your background. One of the things I've always liked about you as, uh, as I just consider you to be my financial coach. So one of the things I've always liked about you is you've always kind of had that pastoral perspective. You know, you've always brought yeah. that in and, and it was never about money. It was always about ministry. It was yeah. never about money. It was always about vision. So how is stewardship really about vision and how's it about uh, ministry and and maybe help our audience clear up maybe some of the 
idea, well, we just bring these people in to help us raise money. It's really a lot more than that, isn't there? Yeah, I really think what we've got to we've got to understand that we're in a real challenging time. And 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 you know, I've been preaching for years to 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 churches and clients and and, and you know wherever that I can and writing and various things that we're faced with a real what I call a a generational generosity shift. You have to be careful how you say that, but but that's what's happening right now as as our largest donor base, baby boomers. They're forty one percent. Uh, of our gifts right now, they're moving into retirement. Um, and so we've got to be aware of that. And yet, you know, the tyranny of the urgent for the average pastor, you know, he's got a funeral tomorrow, he's got hospital visitation, prayer meeting, he's got, you know, Sunday's always coming. I was on the phone yesterday with a pastor and we were talking about, he we had a great Sunday. And I said, yeah, and it's Monday and Sunday's coming. <laughs> he started laughing because you know that guy. You preach that great sermon and you walk out and I got another one waiting for the next week. And so I think that's what God has led me to do to help pastors in this area, because I liken it as a part in a core part of discipleship. And so what I'm trying to do is help churches and church leaders understand that we do a disservice when we minimize giving and stewardship. Now, the buzzwords generosity, and I get that. But I'm more focused on stewardship, because if you if you raise up a steward, you've got generosity covered. If you just get generosity, that's a one off gift that I might give because you tugged at my heart. But that's not a lifelong uh, giving pattern that we want to establish. And, and, and what we've got to do is understand when you teach stewardship from, let's say, if you do a sermon series or a small group series, it's not about you. It's about your members. It's about helping them get to a place of financial security in their lives. Because I always joke this, I, I've never yet met a skinny person who ties that's, you know, starving or hungry, because God's promises are true. And so our mentality, and a lot of it is because we have this kind of an attractional model that we're trying to build, we, we don't want to run anybody off. Well, we're doing a disservice to our members by not discipling them in the stewardship um, of how they can control what God has entrusted to them. And be, by being good stewards, it's going to help them be financially secure. And hey, guess what? It's going to help you and your church also be financially secure. So I, I think we've got to we've got to re address where we're at right now, a continual decline in giving. And we've got a new generation coming up that just doesn't have those same principles embedded within them. And so we need to start now working towards discipling that next generation, or quite frankly, we're not going to have any money to do missions in ministry. Right. So, uh, Mark, I've got to learn a lot from you over the years. And I think going into COVID, I heard you say maybe giving trends weren't looking uh, too good because of probably the baby baby boomers. Now we're past COVID uh, in most ways. Uh, what are giving trends looking like right now post COVID? Yeah, it's funny. I, I wrote a um, I wrote a little bitty uh, a book. To, I was going to throw it up on uh, Kindle. It is up there. Just for the heck of it, I've got a, a former uh, kid in my youth ministry kid. He's a man. He's writing books. And so I thought, well, I'll throw something up on Kindle at 99 cents. Didn't go for it very far. But but one of the people said to me, no, well, no one's talking about COVID anymore. Mm, well, if you talk to pastors, they are. Because <laughs> here's the reality right now. 
giving has stabilized in, in most churches um, that we talk about. Now, the churches I work with, you know, they, they, they had stabilization, you know, year and a half, two years ago. But, but here's what the question I find we're not asking. Now, when I say stabilized, a lot of churches, you know, they're within about five, five to 10 percent of where their giving was pre-COVID. And, and here's where we're at. And this happens both in local churches and denominations when they report, we've gotten happy with that. <laughs> That's our new normal. And, and we're OK with that. And we've convinced ourselves that we have to accept that that's our new normal. I hate that, this idea, well, we just got to accept our new normal. Why? Why do we have to accept the new normal? By the way, here's the, here's the reality. What is the new normal for me in Oklahoma may not be the new, new normal for you guys in Illinois. It's certainly not the same for people in Maine or Michigan. And so this whole thing is a regional thing that we need to think through. But, but what I found is, is that even if you're at 5%, now let's say this, here's another thing we've got to think about, guys, that I don't know, because we're trained in, in church history, and, and, you know, some of us in Greek, if, if, if they had back in the day, the computer programs they have today, I might have made a B in Greek. But anyway, <laughs> um, we, we have all of these things, and we're not looking at some of the things that I think are important yeah. for us to be looking at, and that is that this is the thing. If you if you guys match and we're doing better, if we match what we did last year at Christ Church, that's not good. You know why? Because we're in inflation at least 8%. So the dollar that I give you this year is worth 80%, 80 cents. You know what I'm talking Well, that's not 80 cents. It's worth, it's worth 8% less than what it was a year ago. Hey, just go fill up the church van and, and, and you'll see the difference. That's what I'm telling the guys. So that's why we've got to be aware of where we're at. Now, how long will that, you know, inflationary process hit us? You know, most experts are going to say deep into 2023. How deep? We don't know. So it's kind of a quarter by uh, quarter thing. And so I would say that giving is stabilized. But guys, here's the other thing. The question nobody is asking is, how did it stabilize? It didn't stabilize with more people coming into our sphere of influence. And I know we have to use both in attendance and engagement numbers now because there's still some people that, that are 50%. I've got some African-American churches, by the way, that are, that are at 60 70% below what they were pre-COVID still. So that's why I say it's a regional thing. It's a cultural thing. So it's very hard to just broad brush stroke this. But overall, we're seeing it giving stabilized. But where did it come from? It came from your top tier donors. That's what our data has revealed. People just dug deeper. They gave more. And then now with this inflation, as we go on, and the fact that many of those who dug deep are your boomers who are moving into retirement, the question I have for church leaders is, how much longer can you sustain that? If you're not bringing up the next generation, there's going to come that point where your giving's really going to fall off the cliff, and then you're going to be faced with some tough, difficult decisions. Better to plan now and, and head that off than to get yourself in a ditch in the future. Well, speaking uh, of generations, I'm a millennial, Mark. Uh, you've talked you're a little our bit. Hope. Yeah. How are you feeling <laughs> about my generation, Generation Z with giving? Is this just a uh, a thing where, you know, the younger people are always just a little bit behind and then they're going to grow up and understand that giving is a part of being a good disciple. Where are you at on all this? 
you know, I think Shane probably remembers this when we were coming up, you know, what they said of us, ah, you boomers are narcissistic, selfish, you know, you're never going to give. And, and we don't give at the proportional rate as our parents and our grandparents did, but we are now by the on cash dollars, the largest donor base. So here, here's where I, I, I'm at with that. I, I think we're going to be okay. Um, but the caveat I would add to that is, is millennials are very generous as, as a, just a broad brush stroke of that, looking at that generational group, but you've really got to give them more information. You have to give them a seat at the table. In other words, I would say it this way, <laughs> unless you let their, let them poke their head underneath the tent, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to get on board. So there are some things that you've got to do differently to engage them. But guys, it goes back to this, and Shane, you mentioned this earlier on in our conversation, that, that when I come to talk about giving, it's not about, you know, beating them over the head with the, with the altar Bible or whatever, but it's really about getting that first gift and helping them understand and see and feel the joy of generosity. But we've got to continue to see that into people. It's not going to mess magically happen. They wake up one day and, you know, they're suddenly generous. So we have to keep it in front of them. And what we do is, is, is we connect the vision of what we're doing to what we're giving. And so when you give a dollar here, lives are going to be changed. And when we, steal a word here from somebody famous, when we visioneer this, then, then people have a better um, feel of participating in that process because I realize my gift is making an impact. I'm being obedient, but my gift's making an impact. We've got to get the first gift to get them to the point where they understand the obedience of it. And, and I think that's where we have to really kind of work to, it's a different day and how we communicate is different. But I do think there's hope if we'll start training up that generation. You know, I, I think it's so interesting, Mark, because I, I think you could say throughout the history of America, every generation is positive that their kids are going to take America to pot. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. I mean, we raise the millennials, the boomers yeah. raise the millennials. What we're really saying when we say we don't have confidence in millennials is that we are terrible parents and have no faith in our own children. That's yeah. always kind of fascinated me. Hey, what I'd like to talk about a little bit here is I think we could get pretty pessimistic about the future of charitable giving. I yep. think it's pretty easy to get pessimistic about the future of church giving, at least uh, the kind of giving we've grown accustomed to seeing. What would be a couple of pieces of advice that you'd say every church needs to be doing this right now to prepare for the future? What, what would you say to our listeners out there? What does every church need to be doing right now in light of these realities? I, I would say one thing that's easy and should be done every week is, um, take the time to elevate the offering. Now, I understand that some people aren't passing the plate. Hey, in Oklahoma, what COVID, what? <laughs> We're still passing buckets and shaking hands and hugging necks. Um, but I always say this, you, you have a captured audience, if you will. And, and, and that Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever, whatever it is, but that, that weekend worship event, that is pri your primary communication point. Therefore, it's your primary discipleship point. Now, I know we don't normally think of it that way, 
but we need to change our thinking. And so in two minutes or less, and, and I always try to say less and no one ever hears less, but you know, I don't want to say it's 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever, but I feel like you ought to teach the value and the importance of the offering and, and giving and make it truly what it is. And that's worship. That's the first thing. I think the second thing that, that I would say is you always want to be thinking about the connection. How do we connect the story behind what we're doing, changing lives to, to giving? Then that helps energize people. Because what my contention is, is that we, it's not that we talk too much about money that turns people off. It's how we talk about it. Because we typically run people through what I call the guilt gauntlet. You know, you ought to give. Well, I think nearly everybody knows they ought to give. That's not the issue. It's the getting the water in my life to, to change. I want to give. And I don't want people to feel like I have guilted them into giving. That's a one time off. And the next week, they'll just go back, back to their same old pattern. But I want to change their life and in the process, help them see that they're changing life. So I think how we just approach that needs to be different because we've got to come to understand that teaching stewardship is a vital part of our discipleship process. And, and I'm just saying to clients, we've got to go back old school to focusing on discipleship. You know, my quiet time this morning was Second Timothy, train faithful men who will be able to train others. And that's been the pattern. We've gotten away from that. We need to go back to that. And that's why I think we need to do that in small groups. And Shane, I know you guys press for um, having a plan to help people get out of debt. We need to do those practical kind of things, whether it's financial peace or some of the other programs that are out there. That's what I always recommend. And then I'm throwing it at you several, but one final thing that I would say we need to be focused on, we miss my parents' generation of estates. Um, and, and, and we're missing millions of dollars in kingdom, uh, you know, potential growth by not sharing with our boomers that, that they need to consider leaving behind in their estate some portion of a, of a bequest to the church that just nurtured them and in many instances nurtured their kids and their grandkids. And so I really believe we need to be teaching stewardship from the womb to the tomb, baby. That's where I'm at. And I know I'm the hammer, I'm the stewardship guy. But I really think those things, a weekly focus in, in your worship on, on stewardship and the value of it, you know, thinking about making a connection from vision to giving, helping your people practically maintain a, a, a real healthy lifestyle that they can be a good steward, and then helping them think through how can I invest beyond my life into the future of this church that has meant so much to me. If you'll focus on those things, you'll be well on the way to, to being financially stable. One of the things I talk to pastors about is, is I think when it comes to giving, uh, We've got to lead from the front as as pastors and, and with giving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some years ago, I wrote an article, uh, one of those things, Christian leadership or something along those lines. And I eventually stopped writing because I got tired of being criticized by uh, Europeans who are trolls. Uh, but the bottom line was simply this. When I wrote this article about why pastors should tithe, Mark, <laughs> you would not believe the venom in the feedback I got from pastors, it just oh, yeah, angered, <laughs> angered them yeah, that yeah. I would suggest that pastors should tithe. And I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, well, no wonder uh, churches are not financially solvent 
because preachers feel like hypocrites if they preach on money because they don't give. Mm. And, and they would be hypocrites. So for yeah. me, one of the things we've got to ask ourselves is I can preach on tithing with integrity if I tithe. Melissa and I have included the church in our estate. We're going to give what I call a final tithe of our estate. 10% of our estate will, will go to the church. As, as we get older, we may decide to up that, but that's where it is right now. So one of the things I'd really, that you've helped me with is that pastors, church leaders, it's not bragging to say that you tithe. It's not bragging to say that you've included the church in your estate. What it really is, is leadership. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And yeah, we've got to have that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's bragging if you get up and say, well, I'm going to give X, Y, or Z, because that has a tendency to, to turn people off because they can't relate to that. But when you get up and say things like, you know what, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. It's not so much that. It's just in your preaching and your teaching. You have the stories of God's uh, just his, his outpouring and, and the neat, cool stories. And not just even on, on God blessing me, but the blessing of giving a gift and then finding out that that person that you gave that gift to had been praying that day or something like that. So there's just amazing stories out there. And Shane, that's another old school thing that I, I, I'd like to just come back and, and, and say to churches that we need to come back to the good old fashioned testimony. Yeah. There is nothing that a pastor can do sermonically or anywhere, anything else uh, other than, than Mary Jane Methodist or Billy Bob Baptist or, or Chris Church, whatever, getting up and saying, you know, Here's how God's blessed my life as a result of being a steward. And, and that's what the laity, laity can do. And that's another thing. You go back to that first, second Timothy model, train up faithful men and women who will train up others. And so if we will take that approach to stewardship, it's powerful when, when, when those who are the elder brothers now <laughs> share into the younger couple, hey, you know what? I feel your pain. We know exactly what that's like. You want to see the trailer, Valerie and I? I carried, I don't even know if I carried her over the threshold. I don't think it was the, the little trailer we lived in. I don't think it was big enough for me to carry her over the threshold after we got married. But it was a dive, you know? So we've all been through those times of struggle, but, you know, we've got the testimonies of God's faithfulness in our lives. And I think that's so powerful that we need to communicate that. We just need to change the conversation and how we approach this. And, and I think you're right, Shane, because it starts with us as ministers. When we have a better attitude about it, not a guilt-laden attitude, but we have a good attitude about it, and, and we see that we're helping not just our church advance financially, but we're helping our members become financially secure. Um, that's a, just a blessing. And so we need to look at it that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not at all shy to ask people to give because I believe in what we're doing. That's I, the key, isn't it? I yeah. believe in what we're doing. And, you know, a yeah. church can celebrate a ministry and people will go, well, that's really nice. Or a church can celebrate a ministry and we can say, this happens because you give. Yeah. Now, yeah. all of a sudden, they've got a, a thumbprint in that. They, they, they got to share a stake in that. And I wonder yeah. if with our that's language, good. we could do a better job, not just telling our stories, but connecting our stories to the stewardship of God's people. 
Yeah, it, it starts by just we've got to get away from this apology and this fear that we think we're running people off. And we've all heard the big guys get up and say, we start our church by going out in the community and serving it. What's the one thing you don't like about church? Well, all the church talks about the money. Well, I've always thought that's a horrible story. That means you let you let lost people and carnal people determine the course of your church. Not a good, not a good thing. And my 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 comeback on that. And by the way, I've I've been members of a couple of those churches that accused those kind of thing. Why we don't pass the offering plate? But my comeback was it was an okay question to ask. You just misinterpreted the answer that they gave you. And I go back to the again saying it's not that they don't like to give because Americans are the most generous uh, country in the world. And, and right before COVID, two years before COVID, we we eclipsed the four billion dollar amount in charitable giving for the first time, and we're hitting it again um, even post COVID. So that says that people don't mind when charities uh, ask them for for giving. We just have we don't ask the right way. And so that's, again, why we're going to come back and retrain and rethink how we look at this, because um, quite honestly, uh, you, you know, again, we're not doing a service to our people, and we're certainly not doing a service to the organization that we're called to lead if we're not thinking forward about how are we going to be prepared to face the future financially, whatever might come our way. And COVID, I think, was a great revelation and wake-up call for us all because it showed us in 2020 what life in 2030 was going to look like if we don't take action. And that's the positive thing. Come back to you, Mitch and Shane. This doesn't mean that you're just, you know everything's just going to fall apart and everybody's going to stop giving. No, they're going to find the church that's alive. They're going to find the church that's doing something and, and they're going to join that church and they'll give their heart on money to support that church because of the vision of that church. And so that's what I say to guys. It doesn't matter if you're running 50, if you're running 5,000, it's all a vision thing. And what are you doing for the kingdom? And people will be attracted when you're doing things for the kingdom. If you're just sitting there complaining, they're going to run away from that. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us and giving us all this wisdom today. We've been closing these interviews with uh, praying for our guests. We would love to pray for you, for your ministry how can we pray for you, Mark? You know, I, I tell you something, you pray real practical for me. Um, I'm kind of down. I have a handful of churches that I consult with, um, Christ Church, one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still do that. And I do a, an occasional capital campaign. But primarily now I'm writing. And, and so I write two newsletters and I've got two blogs a week. I write for OnlineGiving.org. And, and on top of all of the other, you know, manuals and different things, we can just get an interview manual, that kind of thing. And I'll just tell you this straight up. Um, that's cranking out a lot of material. And I don't want to just crank out material. I want to crank out things that are worthwhile for the yeah. kingdom and, and, and for pastors. And, and, you know, you get those, just like sermons, you get those days, you're like, this just isn't happening. And, you know, one of these, this is one of these days and I got in here and I thought, oh, man. And, you know, God always speaks to me, but that's where I was praying today. Lord, speak to me so I can speak into the lives of these other guys because I realize how important it is. And that'd be my prayer. I think. All right. Can we pray for you right now? You bet. You bet. All right. God, we thank you for Mark and God for the clear wisdom that you have given him over the years. We, God, we thank you for him. We celebrate, God, how you have used him here at Christchurch but also all around the country. God, the gifts that you've poured into him, 
the gifts that you've used through him, God, have blessed ministries, have blessed pastors, have blessed people, have moved your kingdom forward. We thank you, God, how you're continuing to use him. And God, we pray that all that you've poured into him continues to be poured out and connected with all the pastors and all the ministry and all the people that you intend. So we pray your favor to be upon him. We pray your blessing to go with him. We pray blessings also over him and his entire family. We pray this through Jesus' strong name. Amen. Hey, Mark, Amen. if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do it? Best, easiest way is it's Acts 17, the number, acts17coach.com. And it'll take them straight to my website and they can find out all about everything there. Acts17coach.com. Outstanding. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Mark. Amen. Blessings my to you, pleasure. Man. Thanks, Take Mark. Care, guys. Good to see you again. We want to thank Mark Brooks for joining us today. Hey, if you want to learn more about Mark, about his ministry, make sure you visit acts17generosity.com. And we want to thank you for joining us for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. And like always, remember, keep the change 